Being right is a tricky thing. Did you know that being right does not always mean you have to communicate what you know to be true? Here's the question for you. How good are you at discerning when to speak and when not to speak as you consider the person who should hear from you at that moment? Did you know that there are times when Jesus did not speak the truth? because it was not best to say it at that time, even though he was right. We're talking about your tongue today. We're talking about communication. We're talking about self-control and a whole lot of other things. Thank you for joining me for the podcast. I am Rick Thomas. You're listening to Your Daily Drive, and I'm so glad that you are here. If you want to read this article, you're welcome to do that. You can find it on our website. It's titled, Sometimes It's Better to Say Nothing when you're right. You're welcome to share this article with your best friend. Also, it would be excellent to have a discussion about some of these ideas that I'm going to share with you because it can really do a lot of wonderful things for your relationships. Let me get right into it. Let's talk about let's talk about the paragon. Let's talk about the example that we want to emulate. His name is Jesus. As I said, sometimes he withheld the truth. I've thought about this often as I he is my historical hero, my number one historical hero, and I like reading about him in the four gospels. And I have wondered how many times Jesus withheld the truth from someone who said or did something that was not right. Put yourself in that context right now. You're thinking about someone who said or did something that was not right. According to John, it was many times that he withheld the truth, which does make you curious about his reasons for communicative self-control. Listen to how John talked about Jesus withholding the truth from his friends. This is chapter 16 of John, verses 12 and 13. Jesus said, quote, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Jesus knew that, you know what? It would be better. There is a future day out there when, when you can hear these things, but I'm not going to say those things now. On the surface, withholding the truth could be a form of lying, but it really depends on the motive of the person who is not saying what they know to be true. Of course, in the case of Christ, we know that he could never lie, so lying was never a part of him withholding withholding the truth. His motivations were pure. And so you have to conclude that his silence on a matter had more to do with discretion, wisdom, love. I have had friends who said, it's the truth. If they can't hear the truth, it's their problem. Do you perceive the immaturity? Do you perceive the arrogance in that statement? Can you see how they have focused on the wrong thing, the validity of the truth claim, but not the person who they want to listen to them? But the dogmatic person will come back with, 
Why can't I just say it when I am right? Now, this is an honest question, and it needs an honest response. And the problem with what they're asking, of course, is their emphasis, the point of emphasis. What are you focusing on? They are so fixated on the truth that they are missing the other-centered call of the gospel. Being right is not always the best criterion to determine whether you should open your mouth. No, really. The two greatest commandments implore us to love God and others more than ourselves. And so the questioner has emphasized themselves and what they know and not the other person and the wisdom and the timing of saying whatever it is that they have to share. If you have something to say and you know you're right, the first thing you want to do is run it, run whether whether or not you should say this, you want to run it through the two great commandments filter of loving God and loving others more. I'm going to share with you a few illustrations of this concept. I want you to run these ideas through the two great commandments filter, and you can assess yourself to see how well you understand the wisdom and the timing when talking to others. Here are just a handful of illustrations. I have five of them for you. Your three-year-old son asks you about how he got here. Where did, where did kids come from? Do you launch into a discussion about sex at that moment, or do you leave out? Do you withhold some of the truth because he's not able to bear all that you could say? Number two, your seven-year-old is in one of those historic seasons of sin. All of us parents have been there. It's like, seriously, are you going to sin again? It was only 30 seconds ago, and 30 seconds since then, and since that one, and since that one. That is a, an historic season of sin. You seem to be correcting him all the time. But rather than disciplining him for every misdeed, you overlook a few of them. You withhold the truth because you don't want to crush his spirit. Your 14-year-old has a peculiar habit. It's not wrong, but it, it just happens to be your pet peeve. That one thing that gets under your sin, uh, under your skin, <laughs> rather, maybe under your sin too. But what they are doing is not a sin. Are you going to manipulate her? Are you going to bend her to your preference? Or are you going to show more maturity by casting your struggle on Christ? And so you have a three-year-old asking how he got here. You have a seven-year-old in a historic season of sin. You have a 14-year-old with, ah, with that peculiar habit. Number four, now you have a spouse who is similar to your 14-year-old. The book of etiquette that you love talks about toilet seats and toilet paper and making beds and a few other things that your mate does not know. Is it vital? Is it the right time to train that person up according to your preferences? Here's number five. You read something on Facebook. 
that the person could have communicated in a better way. Are you more apt to respond to how it was said? And I'm not talking about they said anything sinful here. Are you more apt to respond to how it was said? Or are you able to stay on point and benefit from what was said, even though you would have said it differently? Now, in all of these illustrations, the essential person in all five of them is not you, but the other person. That's why I was talking that that you have to have the emphasis on the right person. And so you, you're holding the truth. You, you are right, but you want to run it through the two great commandments filter. And so in all of these illustrations, it's the other person. And when it comes to gray areas, when it comes to preferences, or even like with the uh, with this seven-year-old, I believe. Yeah, the seven-year-old in the historic season of sin. Or even when it comes to sin, sometimes you can overlook sin. And so the first person you want to think about is the other person. You see, bringing glory to God, loving God and loving others, and serving others, I want to bring those two ideas together. Bringing glory to God and serving others, it comes in one package. One way you can glorify God is by how you care for others. One way to think about the glorifying God, serving others package, is when you do something kind to someone, you are doing it to the Lord. Matthew told us about this concept from Jesus in his gospel. In Matthew 25, he said this, Lord, this conversation about with Jesus. Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Now, organically, we are a part of the body of Christ. And so when you love others well, you are loving Christ well. That's why I say you have this this package deal here. One of the ways that you can glorify God is by how you care for others. And so here's a couple of questions for you. How do you do with this idea as it pertains to controlling your tongue, when you withhold saying the right thing, even though you're right, but you withhold it because wisdom and discretion and love and future hope, maybe this is not the time for them to change. And so you withhold the truth from them. That is one of the ways that you can love them. And by loving them, you're glorifying God as a package deal. Question number two, are you more about being right and making sure others know about it, or do you have the Spirit's gift of self-control, which enables you to know when it's appropriate to share your rightness? Now, some of the other gifts that you want to assess, along with self-control, are patience, it's part of it, part of what I'm talking about here, kindness, graciousness, wisdom, there's more, forbearance, discernment, discretion, there's more, love, mercy. Now imagine, imagine being all of these things to your friends 
and to your family. Now compare that. Compare getting your point across. I am right. They need to hear the truth. Compare getting your point across to giving them all of these grace gifts by merely not talking. Imagine giving them self-control, patience, kindness, graciousness, graciousness, wisdom, forbearance, discernment, discretion, love, and mercy. There are times when you can have a more significant impact on a person's life by not saying what you are thinking. You could correct them on the spot, which will give you an at-the-moment victory. And you can even believe that withholding your words feels like a defeat. I've been there many times. But with people, especially those within your sphere of immediate influence, your family and your friends, you want to play a longer game with those you love. Think back to your three-year-old son, the illustration that I gave earlier who wants to know how he got here. By withholding some of the truth, you can build a surer foundation of love, encouragement, and grace in his life, which will position you to bring more radical ideas later, like the sex talk. I'll give you a personal illustration on this matter. As our children ask us where they came from when they were three and four years of age, we did exactly as I'm saying here. We withheld the truth, and we built a relationship with them because we knew that there was going to be a future day when there was going to be a more significant and difficult conversation. And when I had that conversation with my son, he was somewhere between 12 and 13 years of age at the time when we had the sex talk. His eyes were big. He was embarrassed he, he, when we got to the crux of it. I mean, it happened over a period of of two or three days. But when we got to the crux of it as to how boys get here, he was really not wanting to be in that conversation. It was a hard conversation, but we spent 12 years building a sure foundation of love and encouragement and grace in his life. And it positioned us, it positioned me specifically, to have to bring more radical ideas. And it was a radical idea for him. I remember as we were having the that talk about sex, right afterward, I asked him, I said, hey, you want to go on a helicopter ride? And he said, yeah, Dad, let's go. And so we went on a helicopter ride. He wanted to get out of that conversation. Now, what about a husband with a nitpicking wife? You know, the person who hasn't read the book of etiquette that you read and partially memorized. You may say, well, he was raised in a barn. He not only doesn't know what etiquette is, but he had never heard the word. Do you want to use all your corrective bullets on trivial matters? Or do you want to build a more supportive relational bridge for a more vital transformation later? And so same with the three-year-old son. You want to build that relational bridge for the more vital transformation. Or the husband who was raised in a barn, you might not want to use all your corrective bullets at that moment. Maybe you can build that sure foundation, and, and then later on you can have a more transformational conversation. Jesus was always right and never wrong, 
But being right was not the leading prerequisite for talking to others. He showed wisdom. He showed discretion when it came to playing his truth cards. When it comes to communication, you want to think more comprehensively. Let me give you a few examples to help you with this concept. These are in the forms of in the form of questions. And so as you hear these questions, give yourself, assess yourself and to see how well you are doing with this area of wisdom and and discretion and loving the person, self-control. Here you go. At this moment, with this person, what is the most vital thing that I can give them? Do you want to give them the truth? Is that the most vital thing? Well, like in the, in the illustrations that I gave you earlier with the three-year-old son, the seven-year-old uh, child with the historic season of sin, the 14-year-old with the peculiar habit, uh, the, uh, or, yeah, the 14-year-old, or the, or the spouse who's acting like the 14-year-old, or someone on Facebook who doesn't say it the way you want them to say it. At that moment, with that person, what is the most vital thing that you can give them? Number two, is getting my point across or winning the argument the most significant thing? Number three, what would serve this person right now? Number four, what is controlling me that motivates me to communicate with them? Sometimes we can be under the control of things that, that we really just want to win the argument, that we just love love winning. Maybe we're punitive and, and we're so annoyed with the person that that is what's controlling me at this moment. Number five, when I think about future hopes and conversations with them, will speaking the truth right now foster those future goals? Like with the three-year-old child, I use that illustration with the sex talk because it's so easy to see. No, I have a future hope. I have a future conversation with him, which I, ha- which I did have. And because we didn't have it preemptively, we didn't have it too early, which would just totally befuddle and confuse him. No, there was a future hope, so we withheld the truth at that moment. And then lastly, must I speak the truth right now because they are about to fall off a bridge? Or is this something that I can overlook? You see, there's other times when you, because of what they're doing, what they're doing is dramatic and and they're really on the precipice. And, but that, but that doesn't mean, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to tell them everything at that moment. Maybe you do. There's a wisdom issue here. But that's what I'm asking. What does wisdom say, even though, or in the context of them doing something that is detrimental to their souls? There's no question that the other-centered aspect of the gospel is what drove Christ. And of course, he was under the control of the Spirit. So if you are walking in the Spirit, you will be other-centered, And if you are other-centered, you will be empowered to speak appropriately to those around you. And so those are the three elements. You have to be walking in the Spirit. And if you are walking in the Spirit, you will be like Christ. You'll be other-centered. And because you're other-centered and you're walking in the Spirit, you will be empowered to speak appropriately. Now, you can 
do this backwards, if you are not speaking appropriately to the person, then you're not other-centered. And of course, if you're not other-centered, you're not walking in the Spirit. And so now there's something not only relationally with you horizontally, the person that you're speaking with, but the primary problem you have, you're not walking in the Spirit. You have a vertical issue with God. I'm going to take John 16, and I want to paraphrase it to give you a snapshot of what I'm saying here. Let me read John uh, 16, 12 and 13 verses 12 and 13, as, Matthew, as John wrote them, he said it this way, and then I'll give you a paraphrase. Jesus said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Now, let me give you a paraphrase of, of those couple of sentences. I, this is Jesus talking. I know that I am right. I am God in the flesh. I also know you need to hear what I want to say to you. But my first consideration is, is you. And you're not ready to listen. You're not ready to receive. You're, you're not ready to apply what I need to tell you. And so that's okay. I will, I will not only stay here for a while longer, but, but I am going to send another to come alongside you, and, and he will continue to make things clear for you, and so I don't have to sweat it now, because there is a process here, and so I can withhold saying these things. I don't have to sweat what's happening now. Now, even though you have a ways to go in your maturity, oh, I wish you were more mature than what you are now, but this is where you are. And I know that in time, you will know what I know, you will see what I see, you will live in such a way that will glorify my Father in the future, but not today. And I'm not going to tell you everything because of where you are in your maturity levels. And so I can be patient with you because I know that, that he who has begun a good work in you will see to it that that good work will be complete according to my Father's timetable and not my timetable, and so I'm not going to force the issue. I can rest in God, even though you are not all that you should be at this time. That is a long paraphrase of John 16, verses 12 and 13. Now, here's the question for you. How hard is it for you to be like Jesus in moments when you feel like you must share the truth with someone? How aware are you of how self-righteousness is, is lurking and looking to gain control of your mind? The opposite of other-centeredness is that greater-than-better-than attitude that must speak now, regardless of the consequences. One of the ways you can test yourself on these matters is by the tone in which you communicate. There are two kinds of tones. There is a graceful tone, which has the other person in view. A self-righteous tone has an air of annoyance that rides on the wavelength of your words. There is something manipulative, man manipulative about this kind of truth-teller, 
the self-righteous tone truth teller. There's something manipulative about this person. They want to control the situation. They want to control the other person. They are the primary arbiter of truth, and rather than submitting to the wisdom and control of the Spirit of God, they are the ones who determine when, where, how, and why to share stuff. The battle for them is over faith. It's between them and the Lord. It is a battle over faith. Am I willing to trust the foolishness and weakness of God in this relationship or rely on my wisdom and strength? Because honestly, it sounds foolish and weak if I don't give them the peace of my mind right now. This is a faith issue. Withholding the truth or biting your tongue can feel weak and foolish when at times... It is the power and wisdom of God working in you for a greater good. The power struggle with this person is with the Lord. And it's not just over who will I rely on, who will I trust, which is the faith issue, but who determines when this person will change. Am I okay with this person not changing today according to my timetable and according to my expectations? This question here is acute. It is especially acute for those of you who are watching loved ones fall off that bridge in real time. When you find yourself in a prodigal scenario and everything in you wants to tell the truth to them right now, but in your heart of hearts, you know they won't listen. In some of these cases, not all. It's a wisdom issue. It's a gray area, I understand. But in some of these cases, it's better to modulate the truth while accelerating your love for them as you hope for that future conversation after they hit the hog lot and are ready to listen to you. Sometimes being right does not mean things are supposed to change according to my timetable. I have to remind myself of the gospel in those moments when I want things or want people to change now. Specifically, what I mean by that when I remind myself of the gospel, which sounds so vague and overused, and I I get that, but specifically what I'm saying as I connect these ideas to the gospel, is I have to remember the patience of the Lord with me. He has tolerated more foolishness out of my life than anyone that I know. As I line up every person that I've ever encountered, God has tolerated more foolishness out of my life than all of them. In his timing and in his way, he has taught And he has helped me to change. This is the truth that's so real and pleasant to my taste. Here it is. God is mercifully patient with me. Some of the needed change in my life has taken years and decades. Sometimes I say it this way. What I have learned from many decades of walking with the Lord is a reminder not to expect others to change in a week, a month, or or even years. Sometimes it's best to keep my mouth shut while praying for the wisdom to know when to speak. James said it this way in 119, you know it well. He said, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, 
slow to speak, slow to anger. The title of the podcast is Sometimes It's Better to Say Nothing When You Are when you are right. Here's a couple of questions. I won't be able to get to all of them, but you can read this article and you can do all the call to action questions that are listed here. But here's one. Do you have the Spirit's gift of self-control when it comes to communicating with those you love the most? I ask about those you love the most because it's easier to overlook or even not even not even care what those do, the the folks that you don't really have a relationship with. And so do you have the Spirit's gift of self-control when it comes to communicating with those you love the most? Number two, what are some things that annoy you that others do, but you know it's not best, based on what you have heard here, to share those things, at least not at this time, And maybe one of the things that you want to consider is what is your plan to show discretion toward them at this time? And here's another question. How would a close friend describe you after you both listen or read this article? Do they experience you as a patient, discreet, wise, self-controlled encourager or, or something else? All right, that's the article. There's more to the call to action if you want to listen to it. Please share it with another. Sometimes it's just better to say nothing when you're right. That's the title of it. I appreciate you listening. If there's a question that you want to ask, jump on our free community forums and let's talk. Thanks for listening. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.